our river up here is growing wider and bigger as we talk about God's love. We have been using the scripture from Ezekiel, a vision of a river flowing out of the temple. And so we've been talking about that during the sermon series, and I want to go a little deeper into that scripture. And so, just in time for all of that, we have some um, headlines in the news. The things going on with our immigration system in this country and what we're going to do about that. And so this week, Governor DeSantis took a busload of uh, immigrants and dropped them at Martha's Vineyard, where Barack Obama lives. And Governor Abbott took loads of immigrants and dropped them in Washington, D.C., where Kamala Harris lives. Now, you may think that this is a cruel and terrible thing to do, or you may think it's genius because it's drawing attention to a problem, but it is messy, yes? And when I talk to Christians, often they're like, oh, wait, I, I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to turn off the news. Definitely don't bring politics up to the pulpit because, you know, I just want to come and listen to the beautiful music. But the truth is, we Christians can't just stay in our churches. We can't just stay in our prayer closets. We live in the world. And God calls us out into the messiness and the ugliness, because God needs us out in the world to hold people accountable, to demand that human beings are, are treated with kindness and dignity, and to draw from the creative energy of our creator to find problems in all the ways that we're called to do that. Some of us are good at public policy. Some of us are good at caretaking. God has given us gifts, and we need to be out in the world even when it frustrates and infuriates us. And so the problems of the world are big, but our God is bigger. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let us pray. Oh Lord, as we go into your word and consider the wideness of your mercy and grace, enlarge our imagination, enlarge our hope, so that when we are discouraged, we will have the faith to continue and the courage to address human suffering and all the needs of our world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we've been looking at this scripture from Ezekiel. And so I want to tell you a little more about Ezekiel. He um, was a prophet. He lived in Jerusalem. And he was preparing to be a priest. And that is a long, was a long process. Basically, it's like going to law school because their Torah was also their, their law. And so they would prepare, and at age 30, they would become priests officially. And so he had this hope and dream, but it was cut short because Jerusalem was invaded and conquered and the Babylonian army did a really cruel, maybe you would say it's cruel or maybe you would say it's genius, but a way of keeping their enemies down. So we're going to go in and conquer you, but when we leave, you can regroup and you're going to be madder than a nest of hornets and come after us. 
So here's what we're going to do after we conquer you. We're going to take your leaders, your best and your brightest, your strongest ones, and we're going to take you and bring you to Babylon where you have nothing and don't speak the language and, and have no resources because that will keep those people over there from rebuilding and coming after us. And so this is how Ezekiel found himself by the rivers of Babylon, realizing that he was not going to achieve his dream of being a priest in the temple. And so years went by. And on his 30th birthday, as he sat by the river, God spoke to him and gave him a vision. Fourteen years after he had been dragged off to Babylon. So we have to just sit with that for just a minute and, and think about what it looks like to hold on to your faith for 14 years. To hold on to your faith for that long when you are not seeing the blessing. To think that, that God is your God protecting you and yet here you are in a foreign land hearing bad news about what's going on back home. And so God gave him a vision and in this vision God told him it's going to get worse. The temple is going to fall too. And so Ezekiel had to tell his people bad news. Over and over again, he had to share hard bad news. And as the people were trying to figure out why all of this was happening, Ezekiel had to tell them that it was, it was their sin, their unfaithfulness that had caused their downfall. He was not a popular guy. And yet he kept on and kept on. More years went by and more visions came to him that he had to share. Now I need to tell you that the rabbis believe that the book of Ezekiel, we've had it open all this time to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel is not a book you should read if you are not spiritually mature. That, that the themes in it are hard, there is, there is visions that are strange. There is symbolism. And so the rabbis would say, you're not ready for this. Kind of reminds me of um, the time my husband and I went out to a Thai restaurant. And he loves spicy food. Loves it. And so you know how when you go to these Thai restaurants, the menu will have next to an item a pepper. This is hot. And then there was other ones that have two peppers. This is really hot. So he's going through the menu, and there was a page that at the top of the page, it had eight peppers. Everything on this page is eight peppers. So he gets really excited. The waitress comes over, and he says, I'm trying to decide which of these to get. And she says, oh, no, and she turns the page. And he turns it back and says, no, I like spicy food. And she says, oh, no, no, you're not Asian. You can't have that. <laughs> have you ever tried to tell a man in Texas that something is going to be too hot for him? Well, somehow my husband listened and he ordered a two-pepper and it pretty much melted his face off. <laughs> but I feel like that's the rabbis. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't go here. But we've just spent several weeks of going deep, right? So you guys are ready for Ezekiel. So here we go. Ezekiel gets the, these visions from God. And after 24 years in exile, he gets a vision from God that shows him that there is hope and that the temple will be again. The temple that he loves so much will be again. 
And there is chapter after chapter of great detail about what this new, beautiful, bigger temple is going to be. And I kind of suspect the reason the rabbi said don't read this is because, let's just be honest, it gets really boring in those seven chapters. Excruciating detail about the temple. Let me show you, Ezekiel. And I think maybe it's because Ezekiel knew every nook and cranny of that temple and loved it. And God said, let me show you every detail of what I'm doing. Sometimes people feel like they can't go to God with their small problems. Read these chapters. God cares about the small things. God cares about the detail. And God lovingly showed Ezekiel all these tiny details in this vision. And that's where we get to the part that we've been talking about the last few weeks. So there's a man, a messenger of God, with this measuring rod, and he shows him the temple. And then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There was water flowing from below the entryway of the temple toward the east, and the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a cord in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits, and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me to the water, and it was knee deep. Maybe you guys remember Thomas talked about this a couple of times in his sermons. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was up to the waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross. For the water had risen, and it was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? So I'm going to talk a little bit about just what, how big this river was. So a cubit is a unit of measurement that's from your elbow to the tip of your tall finger. So that's how they measured. And so, of course, it wasn't real exact. So we're going to talk about that. The heavenly messenger had a measuring rod that was six wide cubits, they call it. That's um, a cubit and a hand breadth, so about this big, and a rope. This was the ancient measuring tape, right? And so he's measuring. First, it's just a trickle. A thousand cubits would be as if I took this and measured out to the street at Anderson Mill. I don't think my microphone goes that far, so you can imagine, right? All the way to the street at Anderson Mill. And then it gets ankle deep. And then another thousand cubits is about to, say, the front door of Unity Church, not that far, before it gets knee deep. And then we'll kind of come out this way so we have another landmark to about the Valero Station before it gets waist deep, and then to about 183 before it gets so big that you can't swim in it. That is a big river, yes? And I love this line. Have you seen this? Son of man. In Hebrew, man is Adam. The, the name Adam also means man. So, um, son of Adam, son of man, also translated mortal. Do, do you see this? Do you see how big this is? 
I think this says something about the character of God that God wants us to see. God wants to show us. We don't always have the vision. We're not always listening. It took a long time for Ezekiel to be able to receive that vision of God. But God wanted so badly to show him. Let me show you. Let me show you where this is all going to end up. Let me show you how the temple is going to be restored. Let me show you how big I am. Because as I said, it, it wouldn't be until the street at Anderson Mill that we'd even get ankle deep. And so if I told you that God is big and I'm standing on a wet carpet, you'd go, well, maybe, maybe we need to call the insurance company. No, but if you could see further, and if you could see further, because it keeps going. The river keeps going. He led me back along the bank of the river. As I came back, I saw on the bank of the river a great many trees on one side and the other. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to Arabah, and when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the Dead Sea, the water will become fresh. Wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish once these waters reach there. It will become fresh, and everything will live where the river goes. I'm going to put this down. People at the next service can wonder what it is back there. And then he says this. On the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Anybody like fruit? I grew up um, on a ranch in South Texas and I was basically a little feral child. I didn't wear shoes too much. I would just kind of run around wild. And um, we had fruit trees. One of the trees we had was a peach tree. And when the peaches came on, they were so good. We would just sit there and eat peaches and eat peaches until we were sick. And sometimes we even started eating them when they were still green and hard because we couldn't wait for them to ripen. But pretty soon, they were all on the ground and they were rotting. They didn't last very long. But for that short amount of time, we had peaches and a lot of them. When you have to live off the land, you savor those little times where there's fruit. And God is saying, that is going to be all the time. You are living with scarcity now, but don't give up. Don't give up hope. Let me show you what will be. The leaves on the trees will be for your healing. God wants them to hold on to hope, and he shows them what will be and what his will is for their good, for their bounty. And so I know you guys know a little Latin because you talk about the Missio Dei, the mission of God. The mission of God is to bring blessing and to tell the world, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up hope. And he wants us to share that news as well. John 20, 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I also send you. 
Jesus wants us to go out into the world like a pulsing river, to share the good news, to share the hope, to reach out to those who feel hopeless, even if sometimes it means that we got to get near politics. I remember um, when I first was a, a young mom getting involved in church and wanting to help, feeling like the assignment was so big. The Bible says, you will be, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses right where you are and in the next town over and in the next region over to the end of the earth. And I remember being in a Bible study thinking about this image of concentric circles. Yes, the mission is big. But Jesus says, you just start where you are. Right where you are, I will give you your assignment. And then you just step out a little further and a little further and a little further. And I know some of you have children to take care of or elderly parents or your own self. And maybe your circle is a little small right now. But we're always being pushed out to make it just a little bigger. One person at a time. One relationship at a time. A little more Latin, provenient, the grace that goes before. God goes before us. So when you are going to deal with the problems of the world, God is already there. God is already doing things. God is already drawing other people. You're not in it alone, ever. And so one of the things that we're called to do is to look around and see where God already is so that we can follow and be led out. So I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite places in Austin, the Community First Village. It's over by where the fairgrounds are, where they have the rodeo. Has anybody ever been there? Oh, a lot of you. Good. It is an amazing place. It's a village of tiny homes where people live, and it's a community where they have... Um, they pray together and they, they live life together. It is a project of mobile loaves and fishes. And so I got to tour this place and you can, you can have a tour, you can just go. They have a big outdoor movies, it's, um, you know, it's open. Um, but the mobile loaves and fishes people started going out feeding the homeless. And as they got deeper into this ministry and talking to people, they started digging down into what was causing homelessness. And they figured out it's not, first of all, a lack of home or it's not necessarily poverty, not even mental illness. What was starting the problem is loss of community. You lose the people around you, you fall into despair, you fall into homelessness. So the people that they were talking to often would get divorced and have no one. Someone would die and they would be alone. They would become estranged or angry with their family. For whatever reason, it usually would happen that they would lose their community and be alone, and then they had no hope. So they said, yeah, we can feed people, but how can we give people community again? How can we let people know that they're not alone? Because if you've ever struggled with depression, you know that voice that whispers in your ear, you're all alone and no one cares. And we've got to start there. You're not alone. God hasn't forgotten you. Come into our community. And so they give them these teeny little houses that they help them buy. 
And they don't even have kitchens or bathrooms, but they have communal showers and they have communal places where they can eat and they give them community first. And they've had wonderful success. And so as we think about our church and the missions we do, how can we move in that direction? How can we reach out to the lost, to the hurting, to the poor, to people who are suffering, starting right where we are, and give them family, give them community? So we do a lot of things in this church, a lot of missions, but we're looking hard. I see Cliff back over there, our missions chair. Um, We're asking that question over and over. How can we make each mission be more about relationship? Because people need that most of all. And God wants that. The God who says, have you seen, O mortal? Come close to me. One of the things that we do here is our benevolence program. It is amazing. You all give lots of money. Every uh, Monday, Carolyn at the front desk takes phone calls, makes appointments for Thursday. We see maybe about 10 people a week. And our volunteers sit down and talk to them. And then we help them with their, with their rent, with their um, electric bills. I know Co is here. Are there any other volunteers that help with the benevolence program out there? Yeah, it's amazing. And it's, it's sitting down with people here in our church, sharing other resources with them, inviting them to church, praying with them. This year, so far, we have already given away $35,000, over $35,000. About half of that comes from you, and about half of that comes from the city of Austin through their program that helps people with their electric bills. So they want to help people pay their electric bills, but they don't have a way to get the money to them. So places like us, we do that work of sitting down with people one-on-one. And so I'm wondering, we have about 150 people that we have sat down with and talked to this year, and we've helped them with a bill, We've given them some resources, but we haven't done anything beyond that. What else could we do? We, we know where they live. We have their phone numbers. How can we help draw them closer to community? Now, I don't really know the answer to that, but maybe one of you does. But I think we need to be moving in that direction. It's wonderful to give this much money. It's wonderful to sit down with people, but how can we go deeper and wider to tell people you are not alone? So we're going to start that today. I got the list of those 150 people. I got little cards and I wrote their first name on them. And I made a river out there of all these cards, envelopes with people's first names. And if you will, I'd like to ask you to take one of those cards and write a personal note to that person. Just write whatever helps you when you're feeling down. A scripture, a word of encouragement. We're not asking you to mail them because we don't want to give you their address and compromise their confidentiality. But if you bring them back to us, we'll finish addressing them and mailing them. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're hoping that 150 people get a personal note of someone saying, you're not alone, I prayed for you today. A first step to think about how we can make all of our ministries more personal and deeper because the God who loves us does that for us. First Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in you. This is all God is asking us to do.
Recognize that you have hope and be ready to say, this is why I have hope. This is who God is for me. Because people need this good news desperately. And it is the first step to healing. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks that you have gone before us. We give you thanks for the things that you have already done. We pray, God, that we would be faithful in following you out into the world, even when it's messy and hard and overwhelming. Because we know that that river gets bigger and bigger, and if we just take the next faithful step, you will meet us in bigger and bigger ways. Help equip us as a church to love well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.